All right. Who, who's ready for the Word? <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't He? Amen. And uh, we're going to... I want you to look at uh, Matthew. Uh, I don't know where we're going to end up here. We're going to start here and see where we end up. Matthew 5.17. I'm calling this, and I'll probably continue even Wednesday night on some of this, but um, I'm always open to the Lord changing my direction, you know, if necessary. Uh, believe it or not, uh, believe it or not, Paul was not the first grace preacher. Jesus was. <laughs> and even, even, uh, even if you look at the Old Testament, some of the, the prophets, major and minor, you'll see God's goodness and grace throughout the entire existence of humanity. If God was not gracious, we wouldn't have survived the Garden of Eden, I'm telling you. Um, so, Let's look here again, uh, Matthew 5, and um, I want you to, we're going to start at verse 17. And this is really, uh, I call this my little rabbit trail path of the fundamentals of grace or grace 101. You'll realize when you're talking to preachers even and friends, um, uh, in the ministry, and, and I'm not referencing anybody that was here recently, but just different people that you talk to and, and um, listen to and preaching, you can tell if they have a, revel, a real revelation, a Bible revelation of the subject of grace. And you can tell if they're hostile towards the subject. You can tell if they've heard rumors about grace, and that's how they form their opinion. And um, something like that, and try to scare you away from the G word. One pastor that we know very well won't even say grace. He calls it the G word, like it's some sort of a curse word. Um, but years ago, uh, and we have members here that would re- remember this, and especially Sister Ruby uh, being in Tulsa. Praise the Lord. Holy City. Um, there was, at the beginning of what I would call the, the modern day, none of, none of this is new. None of anything that's in the Bible. I found a Presbyterian hymn. Um, we went down to hear uh, Tullian Chavijan when he was the pastor at Coral Ridge Presbyterian in um, Fort Lauderdale. And um, then he had some problems and had to step down. But anyway, he was uh, really doing a great thing with uh, with his grace conferences. Uh, the last one that he did, there were 49 different denominations represented at this grace conference, and so there were there were and it was such unity uh, around uh, the subject of grace and the finished work of Jesus. That's where I first saw the letters. To Telestai was at that conference in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, if you remember, the pastor before Tullian was, uh, D. James Kennedy, who, uh, pastored the Coral Ridge Presbyterian, uh, who was, by the way, an amazing force 
for evangelism uh, in America. They had the evangelism explosion, which was written and designed and, you know, a brain child, so to speak, of uh, Dr. Kennedy. And uh, a lot of people in um, evangelical circles were born again and brought into the kingdom through the door-to-door, knock-on-the-door program that they had at that time. Our culture has changed a lot since then. People resent you knocking on their door, but uh, back in those days, they they were more open in the 60s and 70s. And I have friends, people that came to Rama, who are from the Fort Lauderdale area, who were saved by the work of that church. Isn't that something? By uh, Coral Ridge Presbyterian. So, you know, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater just because maybe a church doesn't believe like we do about, you know, one part of the Bible doesn't mean they're wrong about every part. Amen? And so, uh, hey, I, I'm with Brother Hagan. He said, I thank God for every uh, Baptist church and Presbyterian and Lutheran and, you know, every, anybody that's preaching Jesus is, is doing the work of the Great Commission at some level. And even if it's just a cursory level, that's better than no level. Amen? So I, I said all that to give a thumbs up to Coral Ridge Presbyterian. But um, during that meeting, um, I, I saw the letters to Telestai, uh, which means in Greek, it, it's finished. It not only means it's finished, but it means, and of course there's a big to Telestai. So I, I saw that in a gift shop in uh Rosemary Beach, Florida, the Tetelestai sign that's in the little front foyer there. It's huge. And, um, got it, got it there. You, as you leave today, you can glance at it. It's on the left as you go out. It, it was in a gift shop and I saw it and I had to have it, you know. It's like Carol Burnett with the curtains and the <laughs> went with the wind. Saw it in the window and had to have it, you know. If you've never seen, that's the funniest, that's the funniest thing they ever put on TV. They're doing a spoof of Gone with the Wind and it's called Went with the Wind. And of course there's that scene, you know, where Scarlett O'Hara has to make uh, a dress out of, and all she's got is curtain fabric, velvet, green velvet. Well anyway, she, in the spoof, she comes down the stairs with the curtain rod. On her shoulders, you know. The best thing ever. If you need a laugh, just pull that up on your phone or something. It's absolutely hysterical. And Harvey Corman says, why, Scarlett, you look ravishing. <laughs> she said, saw it in the window and had to have, anyway. So I saw saw the Tetelestai sign and had to have it. Well, when I first, when I was sitting at Coral Ridge Presbyterian and saw that, you know, it was the Grace Conference and saw that sign, it was, it was, they had it like the big, huge letters stuck on the front of the staging area, you know, and, and, uh, what we would call the altar area. They had these huge letters about this big Tetelestai. Well, I thought maybe it was an evangelical publishing company or something because, you know, it's a whole different world. And uh, I thought maybe, you know, it was something from Grand Rapids or Zondervan or somebody. And uh, and uh, 
I, I thought, I wonder what that means, because then they had it on other things. So I looked it up, and I realized it's a Greek word. Not only means it's finished, but it means that it's as finished as it can possibly be, and it's never can ever be added to to be more finished. And that's what, uh, of course, he didn't say t- the literal word to telestai in Greek. He said the Aramaic uh, equivalent to that, which I need to look up sometime and see what that is. But that's what he said when he said, when Jesus said the final words on the cross, he said, it is finished. Meaning that this, the demand of the law, the demand of the curse, the demand of sin is settled once and for all, now, forever, finished. And it will never be more finished than right now. And you can't add anything to it to make it better. It is the blessing of the Lord that maketh fat and addeth no sorrow to it. In other words, there's nothing that human kind can do to make it better. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So anyway, we uh it was just amazing to see, you know, yes, Pentecostal, full gospel, charismatic people intermingling with Lutherans and Presbyterians and it was like uh, uh it was like a almost a charismatic renewal renewal all centered around revelation of grace and there was nothing more Christ-exalting that I had really almost ever been in. And I've said that to some of my, you know, Word of Faith friends, and they look at me like, oh, sure. But it's true. It was so amazing because it was all about Christ and what he had done. Well, I was sitting in the balcony during one of the sessions, and I... um, I... I noticed the Presbyterian hymnal, so I pulled it out, and I started thumbing through some of their hymns, and there was one written in 1780-whatever-something. Isn't that amazing? And it was all about standing on what Christ had done. It was all about that when we stand before him, they actually used the word merit. Merit would not be a part of our judgment of what of 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 uh being righteous amen and um it, it was so amazing and so beautiful so my point is that this this people say well you're into that new grace teaching it's not new at all in fact it's the oldest theme in the bible and um it is a gift again you know the litmus test of grace is it if it's not free, it's not grace. If it's not a gift, it's not grace. And if it's not grace, it's not free. And it's not. In other words, it has to pass all three. It has to be a gift, it has to be grace, and it has to be uh, free. Amen? And um, so, the same with faith. You know, I used to say the litmus test of faith is possession. It's in the idea of possession. Not in hoping for the future. No, that's hope. And thank God for hope. You ever met somebody hopeless? You know, that they don't have any, they don't have any hope that it's going to ever get better. They have no hope that they won't always be sick or be broke or be in debt or whatever. They have no hope for the future. And that's a hard person to get through to. Uh, it's, it's, it, it becomes very difficult for them to, uh, 
receive anything else you have to say. So you have to build a hope and a heart, amen, to get people to even want to listen to possibilities of what God can do and what he wants for them. Well, it works the same for faith. Uh, faith is a finished thing as, as well. Faith says, I always say, here's the litmus test of faith. Can you say this? My faith is released in the glad confession. It's mine. I have it now. And so it doesn't mean it's because you've claimed it in the spiritual world that you cannot see. Uh, just because you don't have it in your hand, the key to the house, the key to the car, the key, the key to the bank or whatever it is, the key to the healing, uh, it, it, you know, you, you can't hold it physically. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Um, we say, yeah, well, it's coming. Well, yeah, okay, praise God. But at some point, it's got to stop coming and get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, a UPS thing that they keep, or FedEx, they keep changing your delivery time, delivery date. Um, we here at this ministry know well what that feels like. Trying to get, <laughs> we have, we have some donors to the ministry who, who like to FedEx their, uh, their, uh, donation and they like for it to be signed for and, uh, without, without it, you know, without any possibility of it not being signed for. So, you know, they'll say, well, it's coming on this day at this time, and it didn't come. Call them up or look it up online, and it's coming tomorrow. (laughs) After somebody has sat there, you know, for 12 hours waiting for it. Can I get an amen from Marie, Jerry, and Geralee? Praise the Lord. Lucy appreciates it, but that's as far as it goes, you know. Anyway, um, I said all that to say that, you know, you can just tell if people don't have a revelation of faith, you can tell. They have a hard time praising God that it's mine, I have it now. You know, say, well, you know, lay hands on somebody for healing. And if we took the time to say, is there any manifestation? Do you feel better or whatever? They said no. We might say, well, praise the Lord anyway for your healing. Thank him that it's yours, that you have it by faith, that it belongs to you now. And you know what? I'm telling you, there's even some Pentecostal people that will bristle at you on that. They'll say, well, I'm not going to praise him till it manifests. Um, I have a very good friend that was in a... Uh, one of our prayer lines in the last three years or so at a meeting and, uh, again, full gospel, Pentecostal guy, uh, very knowledgeable of the word and <laughs> one of our ministry friends was laying hands on people that night and he said, well, praise the Lord, brother, that it's, you know, that it's yours, that it's done. He goes, Lord, let it be so. Grant it God. You know, may it be true. And he said, but it is true because the Word says it's true. Praise Him in advance. Thank Him that it's already yours. See, so faith has to have this concept of possession, that it owns it. Amen. Faith is the title deed, the Bible says, to what has been promised. It's the title deed. Boy, if you have the title deed for something, you know, 
Um, if you've got the title deed, that goes a long ways on, on, on proving ownership. Amen. If somebody came and knocked on the door of your house and said, get out, I, this is my house, you'd say, no, it is not. I have the title deed. The attorney has it. The bank, everybody involved in this property knows who the owner is and it ain't you. You're not, please leave before I call the police or shoot you myself on stand your ground law in Florida. I feel threatened all of a sudden. So, um, um, the, but you standing in the living room, even the physical manifestation of you standing in the living room and saying, this is my sofa and I've been sitting on it for seven years and this is my TV and this is my kitchen, uh, does not hold as much weight as the, the printed title deed that's got the state stamps on it and all that that says this is your house, this is your property. Even if the house is gone, if it's somebody stole the house. Did you know that there was a one day in Tulsa they had the news? Somebody stole somebody's house. They went and moved it. They went, it was, a, you know, a frame house like you have sometimes uh, different parts. The country sitting up on little, little blocks, you know, and they, they went off for vacation, came back and pulled in the driveway and are, are we in the right street? Are we, you know, what's happened? And the house was gone. Somebody stole the whole house, jacked it up and put wheels on it and hauled it off. Praise the Lord. So, um, but even that, whoever stole the house, it's still not their house. The title proves who owns the house if they, and they found it and had to put it back. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, so actually the people that stole the house got upgraded to a much larger house called the big house in the McAllister, which they call Big Mac because it's in McAllister. Oklahoma folklore. Praise the Lord. So you can tell if a person is, is trying to communicate faith and there's no sense of ownership to what they're claiming, you know that they need to go back to the drawing board <laughs> and get some more revelation. Amen. And, uh, you know, if you feel like you're deficient in revelation on things like faith and grace and even hope, you ask the Lord to, uh, to reveal it to your heart. Because sometimes our head gets in the way. You know what I mean by our head? Not our literal head, but our mind. Our mind gets in the way. And uh, we're trying to receive something. Oftentimes it's a spiritual concept through the natural thought processes. And Jesus said that the natural mind cannot understand the things of the Spirit. Amen? All right, the natural man, just the carnal man. So I said all that to say the same thing happened, you know, about faith. There were people that attacked the faith movement. Pentecostal people. Assemblies of God people. Church of God people. They attacked the the concept of faith and called Brother Hagen a heretic and Rama a nut house. Uh, now there were nuts that came to Rama, 
But it's like Kenneth Hagin said. They said, well, some of your students and graduates are nuts. He said, well, they were nuts before they came, and they were nuts while they were with us, and they were nuts when they left. What do you want me to do about that, you know? And that's like meeting somebody from a church, and they're weird, and so you assume the whole church is weird. Well, that's not true. Uh, any more than somebody meeting a weird member of our family. <laughs> I have a sign at home that says, don't judge folks by their relatives. And I had that in a bedroom, and, and um, some of our relatives were coming, and Scarlett reminded me. She said, um, you might want to take that down while they're here. Are y'all getting anything out of this? Is that's the first miracle. I'm all over the board. I feel like I came in and shot the watermelon with buckshot. It's exploded. It's all in the wall everywhere. But I'm trying to get over a point here that oftentimes, what when folks say they're fighting grace or they call it greasy grace or you know, they, they, they say, well, that's leading people to sin. Well, what that tells me is they've never done a study themselves of the Word of God of what grace is about. Grace is not a stopgap measure so that when you fail, it fills in. That's how it's kind of been taught. And almost a shame if you have to use it. It's like dipping into your savings or something, you know, well... Had to dip into my savings to pay the bills. I hate to do that, but, but thank God it was there. And that's how it's treated, like it's a stopgap measure. But grace is the whole thing. It's not a stopgap measure. And you only disconnect from grace when you start trying to compete with it with your own dead works. Praise the Lord. Nobody here would do that, but folks in other places. Okay. Um so let's see what Jesus said about it here, Matthew 5, um, 17. I think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Fulfill meaning bring it to a timely conclusion at the appointed time. I believe Jesus came at the exact appointed time. His messianic journey from from uh, heaven to earth and back, that whole cycle there of his life uh, was an appointed time. I do believe that. And, uh, and, and according to what the Bible says has to be for his lineage to be right so that he can be the Messiah. Amen. So uh, everything about, everything about what Christ did from leaving his heavenly glory coming to earth as a man, being born of a woman, and uh, and, um, and and then fulfilling his earthly duty and call and ministry, dying on the cross, buried, left for dead, <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, and he lives, amen, and uh, he ascended to heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God, which is his seat of authority. And we're seated in Christ in that everything about that is perfect. I'm telling you, Jesus did not miss it in one 
jot or tittle. He did not miss it in one iota. He is the perfect sacrifice. He is the perfect Messiah. He is the perfect Savior. And I'll tell you, I'm not going to identify, but some of these people that are, uh, you know, almost in, in, in front of certain other religious groups, a little ashamed of saying Jesus is the Messiah, I, 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 I don't want to have anything to do with going there because I understand they're trying to maybe in some way reach out and love and touch and whatever, but you don't, you don't mess with the messianic call of Christ. Every false religion and every cult has one thing in common, and that is that they mess with the deity of Christ. They mess in their teachings. Well, Jesus was, you know, the, the folks that say, well, we do not believe he's the Messiah. We do not believe that he's the Son of God. He was a good man. Oh, really? Well, if he was a good man and he's not the Messiah, then he's a liar. And a liar is not a good man. Yeah, because he did, he said, I am he. The woman at the well, remember, said, you're the Messiah. And he said, I am he. Amen. So, you gotta, even preachers who mess with the messianic call or the titles or the deity of Christ, they're awfully close to cult land. I'm just telling you. And, um, well, he was a prophet. Well, does a prophet lie? Now, he was either who, he was either exactly who he said he was and did exactly what he said he did, or he was deranged or dishonest. There's no middle ground, folks. So he was not deranged. He was not dishonest. He is who he says he is, and I worship him alone. Amen. And so if that votes me off the island at the next weirdo conference, then fine. They're not inviting me anyway, so I might as well just say what the truth is. All right, enough on that. I can, yeah, as you know, I can harp on that insanity. Remember Susan Powder, the workout lady video? Stop the insanity. That's what I want to stand up in certain meetings and scream. Stop the insanity! Anyway. But they have pretty good security at those meetings, and I would probably end up in jail or something. Um, so anyway, Jesus brought his reign, ended the reign of the law, and his reign began the, the reign of his finished work and grace. And he said that he had come not to destroy anything, but to conclude it, bring it to a conclusion. For uh, And then verse 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, until, however, see now here's the caveat, until all be fulfilled. Well, who's going to fulfill it? You and me and... Your three, Larry, Larry, Daryl, and Daryl? No. Who, <laughs> your, your three brothers, Larry, Daryl, and Daryl. Till all be fulfilled. Well, he said he has come to fulfill it. Amen. Jesus is the fulfillment 
of everything that God required to pay the price for sin. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, uh, now, so he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's trying to teach these, especially these Sanhedrin people and Pharisees, he's trying to show them something here. Because they're like, with the law, the law, the law, the law, the law, we're keep the law, we'll help you keep the law. If you don't keep the law, we'll stone you. Literally stone you. We're not talking about smoking pot and getting high. We're talking about rocks thrown at you. You have to explain that for young people these days. Well, then they got stoned. Oh, cool, man. Oh, stop. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men also, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But who shall do uh, teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So um, he's continuing to show something. This is the beginning of the of grace right uh, understanding. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, notice there, he just told them what their righteousness looks like. You keep the law, you're righteous. But he said, now he's going a step further and saying, your righteousness has to exceed that of the professional law keepers, the Pharisees. Well, now you know their brains are working at this point. Now we read this like religiously. We we, we read this like, you know, we, we're, 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 look, we're the choir. We're preaching to the choir here. Because we're like, amen, hallelujah. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're the, we're the, we're the fanatics. We're the foaming at the mouth, ravenous, fanatics for all this. But the people he's talking to aren't so on board yet. Because anytime you start saying something about the law, they really perk up. Oh, what? what uh, oh. See, because, you know, uh, in, in uh, Mark 6, you know, he's teaching and preaching, and they're going, who do you think you are? You know, with a New Jersey accent. <laughs> who do you think you are? Eh? <laughs> From Belka Raton. You know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think you are? Your sisters are here. You're some kind of a carpenter, blue collar. You know, I'm just saying that's what the Bible says was going on. And uh, I've added the uh, New Jersey touch to it. And... Um, you know, they're, so anytime Jesus is talking about the law and it being fulfilled, not only the word fulfilled scares the bejesus out of them. Because they're like, wait. Fulfilled means we don't have a job. 
and our significance in enforcing the law. I won't go there. I won't say what I was thinking. But anyway, um, in enforcing the law, is, 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 is they perk up. I'm telling you, he's got their attention. And they're trying to see if they can catch him on blasphemy charges. Because they said he blasphemes. They said the only people, the only person that can do what this man's talking about is God, and he's saying that he's the son of God, and that's blasphemy. They're ready to kill him. That was what happened in Nazareth, you know. Um, except your righteousness shall exceed the right. Well, what kind of righteousness is that? Because we only know one kind, and that is keeping the law, and you get credit for that, merit. So now what? And he's going to tell them. Look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, and they're going, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's, that's the law, and we're, and we're enforcing that. He says, it's deeper than that. I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, he, he goes on to talk about those things, and uh, verse 27 is another example. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And everybody's on board with that, too. Of course, that's horrible, terrible. Uh, adultery is a sin in every known religion. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, Christianity, uh, Hinduism, um, Islam, um, all, all those different um, false, the ones that are false religions. And in Judaism and Christianity, adultery is condemned, and rightfully so. But you'll notice what he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. So they're going, yeah, that's right. When we're doing pretty good. We haven't had any affairs recently that anybody knows about. Anyway, but I, <laughs> but I say unto you that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Every man there has to come to the altar. And I used to say, unless he's blind, but even blind men can lust, I'm pretty sure. They might be the worst ones, I don't know. So, um, and by now they're thinking, you know what they're thinking, because we have a pretty good idea of who these people are from the Word and their behaviors, and they're thinking the same thing. They're, say, they're saying the same thing that the disciples said to Jesus when he started talking about these things. And he, they said, well, who then can be saved? Who then can be saved? Because this, this gets rid of everybody. And Jesus kept t- talking about this and talking about it, until he finally gets to the bottom, this is so amazing, that he gets down to verse 48. See, everybody loves Matthew uh, 5, 
because of the Beatitudes message. Let's read the Beatitudes. It's so beautiful. Well, yeah, but Jesus talked more about this law problem and grace than he did the Beatitudes. Nobody wants to hear that message. Uh, what are you preaching, Brother David, at the anti-grace conference? We're going to straighten this mess out. Well, uh, I was actually going to preach from Matthew 5. Oh, good, the Beatitudes. No, the other part. No, not so much. We don't need so much of that. I've had pastors tell me, my people don't need any of that. I'm thinking, I bet they do. I bet they do. Okay, that went over. <laughs> so you know what Jesus finally said after giving all these examples of, you know, if you're angry without cause, you're a murderer. If you've had a lustful thought uh, about a woman, you're an adulterer. You know, all these things uh, that you are that's even deeper than you thought the law said. You thought it wasn't just behavior, now it's intent of heart. Now it's thoughts that aren't pure and and, and good and, and holy. Well, who can control that all the time? Sometimes you can't help it. It just it comes in your mind and you have to deal with it. Uh, and it says that if, you, if you've lusted in your heart uh, and you've thought those thoughts, you're an adulterer already and you're worthy of death. And so they're going, ah, then he goes as far as you can go. That's from Rogers and Hammerstein, Oklahoma. She went about as far as she could go. Anyway. Said so they went to Kansas City and went to a, went to a show and they had this woman on the stage, you know, dancing and, then she started taking off articles of clothing. Then they said, she went about as fur as she could go. Anyway. So, Je <laughs> I, I relate with Ruby because we both were stationed in the war in Oklahoma. Oh! Oklahoma, where the wind comes rushing down the plain. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth, too. There goes my house. You know. All right. Verse 48, he goes to bed as far as he could go. Because, he says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your father. Oh! Not only as perfect as the next man or the next woman, you gotta be as perfect as God is. Oh, we're talking about raising the bar. I don't know if any, I've hardly ever heard anybody preach on this. I think it's magnificent. Be ye therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And they are, don't you know, about lost their minds at that point, thinking, well, who, you know, I always say, who wants to be first to declare that they're as perfect as God? And they step forward, and that's all the last we saw of them. Singe. Singe. <laughs> 
Who's next? <laughs> you know. Be, be ye, in other words, let's just, let's just, let's just cut to the chase here. Jesus says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Well, that, again, and you see Paul writing about this later in Romans, said what was the purpose of the law? To, sh- to shut the mouth up of everybody. That right there shut the mouth of everybody. Nobody can claim any goodness. Nobody can claim any purity. Nobody can claim anything with that system. And Jesus is showing them, you're screwed. You can't, you can't get it like that. So he's thinking in terms of the law, who be as perfect as God is, who wants to be first? Well, we all have to stand there condemned. Ah, John 3, 18 says they're condemned already. People say, well, you're only condemned when you hear the gospel and you reject it. No, you're condemned before the gospel. Let's look at that. I'm not going to get much farther on this today. As you know, we're out of time. But um, I'm going to I'm going to preach on this as for a while. I'll be around a while now. We did a, we 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 did the you know we did the big the big brouhaha at the meeting. So now it's it's me and Scarlett. Uh, Luke. Where was I going before? Oh, John. Yeah, look at John 3, and um, and look, look and look what it says here. Uh, uh, for John 3:16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world. In case you're thinking He came to condemn everybody and clean up clean up the streets of Laredo. <laughs> That's a song too. Somebody should write a song. <laughs> For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Some whole denominations, I think, that page fell out of their Bible. Because they act like that Jesus is here to point his finger at everybody and Drag him into the Sanhedrin. No, it says he didn't send a son to condemn the world. He didn't need Jesus to come to condemn the world. The law had already condemned it. He didn't come to enforce it. That's one reason why some of them uh, in Israel did not believe he was the Messiah because they believe so sin conscious, so law conscious, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to enforce the law. There's a new sheriff in town. And he's going to enforce the law. And they, so they, they got the sheriff mixed up with Jesus, the Messiah. <laughs> Amen? Well, we need a new sheriff in town to enforce the law of the 
culture. Otherwise, you're going to end up with San Francisco everywhere if you haven't been watching. They're closing all, almost all retail stores in San Francisco. Can you believe that? It's a huge city. Nordstrom's is leaving and uh, uh, Walmart's already gone and they, because the people are going in there and, and looting the stores and, 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 and then burning them down. A lot of people are doing that and, uh, you know, it's just not anything being enforced. So you can't run a store like that. Can you imagine if you were the general manager of that store? What would you do, you know? And so you can't, you've got to close it because you can't make, can't, can't make a profit like that. So I'm not talking about laws of the land. People get weird. You start talking about Moses law and somebody comes up at the end of the service and goes, well, you know, some crazy thing. We're not talking about common sense laws. We're talking about the law of Moses to be followed so that you can have righteousness, which is not possible. Because Paul said in Galatians, no man is righteous by the keeping of Moses' law. How many? None. But you got to give people an E for effort, I guess. Glory. Now look at this. So look at verse uh, 18. Uh, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Condemned already. Because he hath not kept Moses' law and he doesn't have the book of Leviticus memorized. Is that what it says? No, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's the only thing that's keeping people from the from the goodness of God or for it being manifested in their life and a lot of it's being manifested even without them believing. It rains on the just and the unjust. And so and the, and thank God for the church because it's the salt uh, preserving the earth and the light. We're salt and light in this world. Instead of the world cursing the church and wanting to see how many they can shut down and you know. Some of them said they shouldn't have tax exemption and get rid of the property tax exemption. Uh, they should be trying to figure out a way to bless the church because it's keeping this world from falling apart and it's trying to fall apart with us here. But think, can you imagine this world without the gospel? Can you imagine this world without Christian values and principles? And some people follow Christian values. They don't even know where they came from. You know what I mean? Like, like, I'm happy that my neighbors believe in the Ten Commandments. I'm happy that my neighbors believe that murder is bad. <laughs> Whether they, I don't think hardly any of my neighbors go to church or whatever. You invite them, and boy, they, you're talking about a way to not get spoken to on your street. Invite somebody to church. <laughs> then you tell them you're the pastor. That's worse. Oh, yeah, you know. Go hold up a cross and garlic, you know, walking to the mailbox and keep you from attacking them, you know. But I thank God that, aren't you glad your neighbors basically follow, even if they don't know what the Ten Commandments are by heart, even if they're not, like, you know, 
confessing Christians, aren't you glad they at least follow Christian values and, and prince and life values? Aren't you happy for that? They respect property. They're not going to just come and they drive off in your new car and you go, what are you doing? Well, I, I just saw this car. I thought it looked nice. I'm going to drive it a while. No, they respect your property. And if they don't, you're going to figure out a way that you will make them respect it. Amen. But did you know that according to, boy, and I don't have time to prove this, but I'll do it Wednesday night if you'll come back. But I'll tell you what, the Bible even says that the Ten Commandments were the um, administration of death to be done away with, that now that Christ has come, we don't have to go check the Ten Commandments. They're not written on tablets of stone for us to view. They're written on our hearts. So you don't get up every morning and memorize, well, let me see, what am I not supposed to do today? Not murder anybody. Oh, man, that's going to be a hard one. Especially when I get out on 54. I can kill somebody with this car. It's like 6,000 pounds. And squash them like a bug. No, I don't have to do that because it's it's not who I am. I'm not a mass murderer, a vehicular vehicular homicide, <laughs> right? And I don't have to I don't have to walk through the department store and I'm going to keep my hands in my pockets to keep from stealing. Now there's a name for this. It's called kleptomaniac. There are people that are like that, and they're certifiable. They need to get on their meds or off their meds or something. But I'm telling you, you know, do you, do, you have to, do you have to put your hands in your pocket to keep from stealing? If you do, come talk to me. I'm going to get you some help. Because that's not right. It should just be naturally in you. You don't steal. You'd rather You'd rather almost cut your hand off than to steal. Because it's not a part of who you are. You're not a thief. But if you are a thief, you've got problems. And your problem's not the Ten Commandments. Your problem is that the light and life of Christ has not manifested in your life somehow. You probably have a relationship with the law and you don't want to admit it. Woo! Preach, Brother David Bill! I'm going to stop now. This is going on way too long. Gonna be like that woman that shouted, gone home. <laughs> Amen. But I like that. It says that he that believeth not is condemned already for the one and only reason that he, he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. So we'll get into the, the next part of this is, um, in, um, the letters to the Corinthian church where Paul explained about the Ten Commandments in relationship to Christ. Amen. It doesn't mean the Ten Commandments are wrong or bad or you shouldn't display them somewhere or whatever. But uh, uh, Christ is exalted above the Ten Commandments. Amen. You understand that? He embodies all that. And so it's like, it's like brother, uh, what is the new law? It's the law of love. Amen. And really the law of faith, the law of belief. Believe in the finished work of Christ. Praise God. And you'll, you won't have a, you know, like Brother Hagin said about walking in love, he said, if you walk in love, you, you're not going to murder me, steal from me, 
try to sleep with my wife or do some weird thing, you know. Uh, you're not going to go worship some false idol because you've got the love of God shed abroad in your heart. Amen. And that's what keeps us from becoming animals. <laughs> Is that? Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad? Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's, uh, let's, uh, lift our hands and praise the Lord for the word today that just you think he's never going to quit talking. But I am as of in just a second. We're going to pray for those that are watching on uh, online. Father, in Jesus' name, and if you're here, you need a healing, put your hand where you're suffering. Jesus, I thank you for your healing power. In the name of Jesus, be healed today from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. I command blind eyes to open, deaf ears to unstop, lame legs to walk, those with cancers and tumors and growths and, and uh, any abnormal cell activity, Command that to turn around, bow its knee to the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We curse cancer. We curse any kind of malignancies in any way in Jesus' name. Be healed and whole from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Any kind of skin conditions or any kind of problem with allergies in Jesus' name. Be healed and whole today in the name of Jesus. Lord, those that are suffering from uh, lack in their life, financially, materially. I thank you that you show yourself strong. Do great and mighty things in the area of, um, of, of lack. And, and, and uh, there is no lack in Christ. And I thank you, Lord, for your full manifestation of your love through needs being met in every way. Those that are suffering from any kind of mental illness, attack, any kind of uh, depression, oppression, be free in Jesus' name. Be free. Curse the devil. Curse demon activity in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your healing, miracle-working power in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's lift our hands one more time and thank God for the word declared in this place today. Thank you, Lord, that we receive it with gladness of heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Go and be blessed. We'll see you Wednesday night for more rantings and ravings from Pastor David.